0: Amen. Well, good morning. It is good to see you all, good to be in the house of the Lord. I am thankful that you're here, thankful that you're with us. Uh, I am also thankful for the opportunity we have to be able to worship together and uh, hear the word in song, hear it in prayer, even hear it read. Um, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for uh, young people, uh, people like Summer, who shared the word this morning And I'm thankful for her ability to tackle hard Hebrew. I'm not sure that was a class that she has had at this point, but I want her to know, Summer, you did better than most seminary students I know. And so the rule of thumb is to always hit Hebrew with confidence, and chances are you might be right. Either way, if you hit it with confidence, chances are most people in the room will assume you're right. So go with it. And so, uh, Summer, thank you for that. Uh, that, was a, that was a sanctifying passage you had to read, and one that I want you to know that I've read many a times, and I don't think I've said any of those names the same twice. So thank you for that, and thank you for the encouragement of the Word uh, this morning. So with that being said, I do want to ask if you would join me in Malachi. Uh, We're going to be in Malachi chapter 2. We are continuing our study through Malachi this morning, getting into chapter 2. We've already finished chapter 1, moving into the first nine verses of chapter two. And what we're gonna see is the Lord is continuing this morning with his dispute that began last week. Remember, the Lord had called out the faithful, had called out the church uh, for their careless worship and their half-hearted worship. And so he's gonna continue Uh, to build off of his disgust towards the people in worship. And this morning, he's going to turn his attention specifically to the priests and ultimately bring accusations not only against the church, but really against the priests themselves. In fact, if you go back and, and read chapter 1, verse 6, you'll see that this moment was coming, okay? Like God knew there was going to be a moment where he was going to challenge the priest when he said, "And if I am a master, where is my fear?" says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. Now, by bringing in the priests to this problem with half-hearted worship, God is making the point that all of the people of God, all of God's chosen people, whether follower or leader, all of them are bringing sloppy leftovers to God. And at this moment, God is not pleased with their worship. So as we look at our text this morning, I am hoping and, and praying that in the, in the midst of the dispute that God is now having with his people, that we also see that God is giving us a glimpse into the role of, of the biblical pastor. And so that's what I want us to see this morning. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me in Malachi chapter 2. We will begin reading in verse 1. And once you have found your place in the Word of God, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word. Now this is Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, Malachi writes. Or actually, God speaks. And now, O priests... This command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now again, if I could just set the scene for you this morning, and honestly, what may be a passage that we look at, and upon initial reading, we think, wow, this is going to be harsh again, but thanks be to God, we are not talking about the people of God, but rather we are talking about the leaders of God, the priests of God, and and that is partially true. However, before we get into this, I want us to understand that this is now a continuation of the previous dispute that God has made against Israel. Again, God is not pleased with Israel's worship as a whole. Remember the the people of God had had walked away from fearing God. They had, they had walked away from placing their hope in God, remembering all that it was that God had done, them, had done for them and leading them out of bondage and back into a promised land. And upon returning, again, we're talking about a time that somewhere around Ezra and Nehemiah, all of a sudden things just weren't going well. They were continuing to fight fights. They had to come to a city that was in complete ruin. And all that they had hoped for and had been expressed by God just didn't seem to be coming to fruition for the people of God. And so they began to doubt, they began to question, and it got to a point where, as we saw last week, they were, they were showing up for worship, but they weren't truly worshiping. Worship had become a, a thing that they had to do, even though they really didn't have the heart for it or the want to do it. And so as we look at this text this morning, God not only calls out both the people of God, again, as we saw last week and as, as we'll see this week, but now he calls out the priests for their lackluster worship as both participants in worship, but also as leaders in, this, in worship. So before we go any further, I want us to understand what we're talking about when we, when we talk about the priesthood. Okay, first of all, let's understand this simple truth today, okay? Jesus Christ is the only great high priest. Now this is important for us because there is no priesthood in the New Testament. In fact, there should not be a priesthood today. We recognize that only Jesus Christ is the great high priest. You can go read more about this in Hebrews chapter 7 and again in Hebrews chapter 9. Now this matters because the Old Testament priesthood has now been replaced once and for all by the priesthood of Jesus Christ who became not only the final sacrifice for sin, but he now intercedes on our behalf in heaven. Which leads to the second thing I want us to understand this morning about the priesthood. And that's this. Not only is Jesus Christ the only great high priest, but now today the church is a continuation of the holy priesthood. In fact, according to the New Testament, 1 Peter 2, 2, Hebrews chapter 4, Revelation chapter 1, Christ has now opened the way for us to God. Thus, a human mediator is not nor is no longer needed in order for us to walk with God. We do this with Christ, by Christ, according to his word, who by his covenant grace in his word shapes us, forms us, fashions us, and prepares us for an eternity spent with God in his kingdom. Thus, when the church gathers today, we gather for the purpose of being challenged by the word. We gather for the purpose of being encouraged to grow in righteousness according to the word as we draw closer to the coming kingdom of God. Now, we may hear this today as a New Testament church and a modern church today, and and we may ask the question, so if the priesthood is now on Christ and the church itself is a continuation of the holy priesthood, well then, what is the need of a pastor? Why do we need a pastor? Why do we need elders if we no longer need priests? Well, in order to understand the answer to that question, we have to look into the other roles of priests as well. You see, it was the role of the Old Testament priest to administer worship and to teach God's law. So you see as pastors and as and elders in the New Testament they have now taken it upon themselves the important priestly role of shepherding the church and and teaching the word of God to the local church. In fact, if all else fails according to the word of God with the local church, then the one thing the pastor and the elder can know is this. The call of the pastor or elder is to faithfully preach and teach the word of God. So what we're going to do this morning is We're going to focus God's words on the role of the biblical pastor, what it is and what it is not. Now, you may be thinking this morning, Pastor, that seems a bit self-preserving. Let me encourage you to read Malachi. Do you see anything that is self-preserving in this text? Okay, you may say, well, Pastor, this seems a bit self-deprecating at this point. Why would you just condemn yourself? And again, I would encourage you to read this text again and see what it is that God is saying about this role. But I want us to understand this morning that I believe that there are four reasons why we need to have a better understanding of the role of the biblical pastor. And When I say biblical pastor, I don't just mean the paid pastors on a staff at a church. I'm talking about the elders of the church as well. Four reasons I want us to understand why we need to know this role is this. First one is this. I, along with Corey, along with your elders, will not be here forever. We won't. We will age. We will get older. And in some way, shape, or form, if God tarries, he will call us home. I don't anticipate being your pastor into my 90s and 100s. I would hope by then you will have found a new healthy pastor. I may not be able to make the first step. Now you may be saying amen and thanks be to God, but here's the reality. All of us at some point are going to come to a day where we're going to have to call a new pastor. Many of our our friends that we know, other like-minded brothers and sisters, are dealing with this in this very moment right now. We're in their churches. They are dealing with the process of calling a new pastor. And the reality is this. Based on several of the conversations that I've had, not only this week and in the weeks past, there are many churches out there that have no idea what a biblical pastor is or what a biblical pastor does. In fact, they've never been taught as much. and so I'm hoping to kind of change that a little bit, recognizing that we should always be praying and seeking and looking for the biblical pastor, especially if the day comes where your current pastors and elders are no longer with you. But secondly, the second reason why I think we need to study this a little bit carefully is because uh, not only that I won't be here forever and neither will the other elders be here for elder, but secondly, because we as a church should be praying for our pastors. And you may say this morning, well, pastor, I'm doing that already. But here's the question I want to ask all of us this morning is how can we pray for our pastor if we don't understand the biblical pitfalls nor the biblical purpose of their pastoral ministry? We should know and understand what the word of God says so we can better know how to pray. Thirdly, in order to understand the role of a a biblical pastor, another reason so that we can hold pastors accountable. And listen to this part. Hold them accountable to fulfill the biblical vision of pastoral ministry. I'm going to say that again. We need to understand the role of the biblical pastor so that we can hold our pastors accountable to fulfill the biblical vision of pastoral ministry. Now, this is the reason why I repeat that is because this does not mean that we now hold our pastors accountable for meeting our every need. It doesn't mean that we hold our pastors accountable for meeting our every whim. All Pastors are different. I would imagine that there are several of you who remember a time before I got here, and you remember my predecessor, who is a dear friend of mine now. Okay, I will go ahead and tell you, and Pastor Chad would tell you as well if he were here Chad and I don't do things alike. We are two very unique individuals. I'll give you a very simple example Chad is an early morning person, I am not. We are very different. Okay? That's how he operates. That's how I operate. But we are still great friends and I am thankful for that. But the reality is this, no two pastors are alike. Thus, when a pastor comes and a pastor goes, our next pastor may not be like the next guy. However, we still have a responsibility to hold them accountable to their biblical duty. Well, how can we hold them accountable if we don't know what the biblical vision is? How can we even hold them accountable if the only thing we're holding them accountable to is what others think about them versus what the Word of God says? That leads to the fourth reason why I think this passage is important for us to understand the role of the biblical pastor, and that's this. Because it's an encouragement to pastors when the church responds to his ministry with understanding. You see, when the biblical role of a pastor is understood by the church, then the church knows how to care for their pastor and how to respond to the pastor and to the elders as they continue to lead and to teach. And I want to tell you this brings a deep and profound joy to the pastors and to the elders who teach. It's a joy to see people engaging with you as you teach and preach the word of God. It's a joy to see people nodding in affirmation or shaking their head in negativity or clenching their fist as if what you were saying is disappointing. And thanks be to God for those of you who remind me that that is why you are here and you do what you do. I know you mean it as encouragement. I don't know why you laugh. I really hope that's what they mean. (laughs) You see, this is why we should care for this passage and what it speaks on when it comes to the role of a biblical pastor. You see, in our text, God has rebuked the priests, just like he did the church uh, the week before, for their failure to lead worship and to teach the word of God faithfully. And so God rebukes the priests for their lack of leadership. And in the midst of this rebuke, he's going to reveal more about the role of the biblical Pastor, And so let's go ahead and dive into our text again and and see that the role of the biblical pastor is tied up into three words that we're going to see this morning. The first one being accountability, the second one being the call, and then the third being the failure of the biblical pastor. So let's look at this again. First, we'll begin with the accountability, which we find in verses one through three. Let's read it again together. It says, and now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Now let's just pause right there, because here God opens by holding pastors and priests accountable for inverting their priorities in ministry. Now what I mean by inverting their priority is by this point in the priesthood, they had now lost their focus on teaching and instructing in the words and the commands of God, and they had turned their attention and their focus upon themselves and how they can build a bigger name for themselves. And so God begins by saying, and now, O priests, this command is for you. Notice how God takes his thoughts on careless worship from the church to now focusing on the leaders themselves, focusing on the priests. You see, here we learn that that. Pastors are called to know the word of God. Thus, it's pastors who are called to be faithful to teach and to preach the word of God through the local church. In fact, God continues in verse two when he says, and if you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. You see, by this point in Malachi, The priest had dishonored the name of God. They had turned away from valuing that which is true and good and beautiful according to the commands of God. They had turned the church away from from giving glory to God to now glorifying everything that's around them. And so God says, as a result of this, I will turn your blessing into curses. Meaning this, whatever you think you are blessed with, it is now a curse. Whatever you speak that you believe is a blessing, it's now a curse upon the people to which you are speaking it. You see, we learn in this moment that the priests themselves were undervaluing and denying the powerful influence the word can have on the life change that occurs within the people of God. And so God lays out a warning to call the priests back to repentance. But then I want us to notice what God does. He doesn't just lay out the warning. He then reveals that his judgment was already upon them because of their sin. Look at the second half of verse 2 the verse 3. He says, indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring. Now let's just pause there, because I think the the interesting word here in this passage is the word offspring itself, which can better be translated into the word seed. Now this is important, because God is either saying one of two things about judgment uh, in this moment. Especially when it comes to the priesthood, which would have a negative impact. You see, he was literally saying to them, look, judgment has come upon you. And that judgment that has come upon you has fallen upon you because, because you are not handling the commands of God correctly. You are not handling the word of God correctly. Therefore, what it is that you're spewing for your mouth is not only your own sin and leading your people to sin, but it will lead to a sin that will last for generations to come. But there was another meaning to the word seed here which could refer to agricultural produce. Now, this was important because tithes and offerings were dependent upon the selling of crops during this day. And so if gifts and crops were low, then that meant the support coming in for pastors financially would also drop and could hurt their ability to sustain themselves or to be able to sustain their family. Now, again, I want us to to hear this warning, and I want us to understand something today. You nor I are God today, okay? Meaning this, this passage does not give us the license to withhold giving because we want to hurt an elder. This passage does not give us the license to to withhold giving because we want to to hurt a pastor. In fact, if you read Acts chapter 2 verse 45, we see that as believers in Christ, we are to give as each person as he has need. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, Paul, speaking to a young pastor, teaches that the laborer is worth his wages. Thus, withholding should not be our concern here, where, where many people have used this passage to justify why they don't give because they want to hurt a pastor. Rather, what we are reading is that it's actually sinful to not give. And what God is saying in this moment is that he is the one who will withhold because of the sin of not leading faithfully and properly in worship. Do you understand something there? As believers in Christ, are we called to hold one another accountable? Yes, we are. But as believers in Christ, let's understand something. God has not placed any of us in the seat of judgment. He's not placed any of us in the seat of judgment. That's his seat. Only he is the righteous and right judge. And so coming back to this text, as if generational sin wasn't enough, as if financial pain, God... Taking away from the priests wasn't enough. God warns them of a more targeting and, and can I be honest with you, a more disgusting judgment to come. Second half of verse 3. He says, and I will spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. I want us to understand this word dung a little bit because I think we get it. But sometimes I think we kind of miss it as well. You see, this this word dung literally translates into the bile, the excrement, and the internal organs that were cleaned out of an animal during a sacrificial offering. Okay? So just think of this, this waste, this grossness, this... This sickness, if you've ever seen an animal like a deer being cleaned out before, before it gets processed, it's kind of that concept. All this nastiness just gets into uh, what amounts to a bucket, if you will. And what God is saying in this moment is this, is that you as a priest are so wrong. That you were leading the people of God so poorly, not according to the command of God anymore, that here's what's going to happen. I'm not going to take away the ability to be able to provide for yourself and your family. I'm not going to just, just hold you accountable and curse the words that are coming out of your mouth. But here's what I'm now going to do. I'm going to smear that mess all over your face. Now I'm just curious, a show of hands. If we had vacation Bible school this year and one of the contests was this, guys versus girls, whoever wins or whoever loses has to bob for apples and a bucket of bile and and intestines and organs. How many of my leaders are signing up for that? None of us. One of you is looking at me right now going, dude, I've already been talked to about that and I ain't doing it. You know, you know, I'm not doing that. I'm okay having worms poured on me. Yeah, that's fine. Pie shoved in my face. No problem. Shaving cream. Let's go. But a bucket of that? No, thank you. You see, this sounds awful, but let's pay attention to what God is getting at. Because what he's saying is this. The pastor who is not faithfully fulfilling his call to preach, teach, shepherd, and live out the word of God. He's saying this. I'm not just smearing this stuff on your face, but here's what's going to happen. I'm going to toss you out unceremoniously with the waste that is thrown out of the camp after worship. Now, we need to hear these words because I want us to understand something about the word that God has just given. Because what I hear is this. No matter who stands in this pulpit, no matter who leads us in worship, no matter what elders we have, here's the reality. God is still in control of this church. Okay? And for the leaders in our church, and here's what I'm talking about when I say leaders, I'm talking about pastors, I'm talking about elders, I'm talking about our teachers. God is going to hold us accountable. And if we get away from the word of God, if we push the word of God away, if we are not faithfully leading our people according to the word of God, then can I tell you something? God in his sovereignty will remove you. My prayer is this, is that he removes you in grace and not as a bucket of dunk. Now, this may seem harsh, but I want us to read the words that we see in James, James chapter three, verse one, when he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for, you know, that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, we need to recognize that the biblical pastor is not and will not only be held accountable by the church. But he will also be held accountable by God. And God will hold the pastor and the elder responsible for the position that's been entrusted to him. Thus, the calling of the pastor and the elder is a great and high calling. It's a weighted, weighty calling. And so we as followers of Jesus Christ, as followers in the local church context, should be praying for our pastors, praying for them to remain faithful in teaching the word of God and not to shy away from truth because that truth is too hard and praying for them to not shy away from truth in order to protect their quote-unquote jobs. As one scholar said it, he said it this way. He said, we desperately need pastors who in their preaching or counseling are willing to make us uncomfortable with hard words. You see, as a church, let's encourage our, our pastors and elders by being people of the word. Because here's the reality. We are a continuation of the holy priesthood. Remember, we talked about that earlier. And so we ourselves, as as members of the church, will be held accountable by God for how we ourselves handle his word and how we treat one another. You see, the accountability of the church and the pastor is great because we not only hold each other accountable, but we are also held accountable by the mighty, righteous, and right judge. So you see, there is accountability that comes with the role. Secondly, I want us to see that in the the role of the biblical pastor, there is also the call. Look with me at verses four through seven. We read, so shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I, I give them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Now, Looking back over this text, I want us to go back to verse 4 and see the phrase uh, that says, my covenant with Levi. And what we have here and following is really a succinct reference to the broad and diverse responsibility of the tribe of Levi, specifically when it comes to those who were descendants of Aaron. So let's let's understand a little bit more about the task of the priests and the task of the Levites. First of all, the priest tasks, which are one and the same, they were called the lead worship They were called to offer sacrifices and administer cities of refuge at the same time as as Levites. The Levites' task was to assist with the sacrifices, to serve as security guards, and to keep anything unholy from defiling the temple. So what I want us to understand from this passage, brothers and sisters, is this. Your pastors and elders are gatekeepers to what is happening in worship. This is not a, a new thing for any of us. This is why when it comes to our own service we are so distinct with what we do in worship. Now, this does not mean that we at Southside have cornered the market on worship. Though I believe what we do is true good, right? Beautiful. But other churches do it differently and hopefully by God's grace they're doing it based on their own pastor's vision and leadership as gatekeepers in worship. Now again, does that mean they're doing it wrong? No. But what it does mean for us is this when it comes to, to how we worship as a church, from start to finish, our elders, our pastors, we do it the way we do it because we believe this is what the word God, the word of God commands us to do in worship. This is why we guard how we preach. This is why we guard how we teach. This is why we guard what we sing. We want to make sure that what we're singing is biblical. We want to make sure that that what we're singing reflects the words that praise our Lord and Savior and they give Him a name and His name is Jesus Christ. That's why we won't sing words that just sing about a generic God that's just out there. That's not what God has called us to do. So as gatekeepers... This is why we hold tight to how we govern ourselves in worship because we want to make sure that as believers in Christ we are constantly reminded and affirmed and challenged and pointed to the fact that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord and that is why we gather. We want it to be as clear as day from the moment you walk in those doors and worship begins to the moment you leave. We want you to understand that this church holds high the word of God and we worship Jesus. Let's continue, looking at verse 6 and 7. It says, True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Now notice how God calls special attention really to one particular aspect of the priest's service, which is this, teaching God's word to God's people. Again, this is the primary call of the local pastor in the church, and that calling itself can be broken down into two dimensions, one being teaching and preaching of the law of God, and two being practicing the law of God for himself. So a biblical pastor is one who will carry God's law on his lips and then walk with God in peace. Thus, here in this moment, God teaches us that a good pastor is one who demonstrates integrity, both with his words, but also in his actions, and they match. Again, we continue in verse 5. And we read the words that say, My covenant with him was one of life and peace. Again, here God teaches us that the biblical pastor should and would be one who calls people away from sinful, self-centered behavior that is harmful to those around us and rather calls people back into right relationship with God that leads to a life and leads to a life of peace. Again, there is a high calling placed upon the pastor. Now notice again, when it comes to talking about his integrity, notice it's, it's not just about what others say, But rather what we see is that pastor faithfully administering the word. Is that elder faithfully, that deacon faithfully, that teacher faithfully leading with the word? You see, the biblical pastor is also one who shepherds the flock according to the word. In other words, we need to understand this. Not only does the pastor teach and preach and faithfully live, but then notice this. Our pastors and elders are called to faithfully shepherd us as well. Meaning this, the biblical pastor has the role of purposely checking upon the members of the church to see how they are doing. Can I just encourage you with something as members today and hear me on this? Again, not, no self-preservation here. This is just called simple calling and accountability of the word of God. Let's make sure that we don't become a people who shut down our elders from the biblical role of shepherding each of us. Rather, let's be honest with our elders. Let's encourage our pastors and elders by allowing them to hear from us and allowing them to speak into our lives. Why? Because this is a part of our spiritual act of worship. Why? Because this is a part of what it means to be a covenant member in the life of this church. We share our hurts together. We share our concerns together. We we share our frustrations together. We allow our elders and our leaders to speak into our lives. And hopefully by God's grace, each of our elders are, are speaking into your life that is biblical. And you may say this, well, I, don't, I haven't heard from my elder. How would I even know? Okay, come talk to me because let's find out what's going on. Because one of two things is either happening. One, you haven't probably gotten a call from your elder. I don't know if I believe that. But if that's true, let's get you connected to your elder and find out what's going on. Two, maybe the issue is you. Maybe the issue is us because we're not being honest. We're not being transparent. I gotta tell you guys, as one of our own pastors and elders in this church, even I myself as a pastor have struggles and faults and thanks be to God that I have like-minded brothers who are elders in this room that I can sit down with and share my heart with and guess what they do? They encourage me with the word of God and they pray for me. I know if these brothers are doing that for me, I know they're doing it for our congregation as well. So allow them to lead us, each of us in that way. So I want us to understand already, seven verses. We've talked about the accountability that comes, not only accountability from the church, accountability from God. We've now seen the call, all these things that are good and right, that the priest and the the, the role of the biblical pastor should should be doing and happening. And then I want us to see this thirdly and finally is this. I want us to see the failure, the failure of the biblical pastor. Verses eight and nine, look with me. It says, but you have turned aside from the way you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. And as much as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Notice how after revealing the accountability and the true call of the priest, or, or what we're looking at for our purposes today, the, the modern role of the biblical pastor, notice how God now turns his attention to where the priests have failed. Notice how it's, it's here in the text that we see how we can better pray for, for our own pastors to avoid these same pitfalls in life and in ministry. Again, look at verse 8 when it says, But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Notice how God charges the priests of the day with abandoning their biblical duty and their biblical responsibility. Again, as we already talked about in the call in verses 4 through 7, a faithful priest should both teach and practice God's word. However, during Malachi's day, these same priests had turned away from God's word and they were now causing others to stumble based upon their false instruction. So we now know one of two things were happening amongst the priests at this point. Either one, they had given up on teaching that which was true and had turned aside to teaching all that which was false. Or they were continuing to teach Orthodox theology, but when it came to their own lives, they didn't even follow their own words. And the words that they taught didn't even match their own lifestyle. Either way, what we know about the, the priests of the church is that they were now no longer following and living for the commands of God's word. And if that wasn't enough, notice what God says. He continues in verse nine. And he says, and so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but rather you show partiality in your instruction. In other words, God accuses and condemns the leaders, the priests, by saying, listen, you now have a fear and reverence for people, and that fear and reverence for the people has replaced your fear and reverence for God. In other words, Family, friends, the wealthy were enjoying more of a benefit and blessing from the the priest than the poor, the marginalized, or the regular attender. In other words, God tells us that partiality itself had become the order of the day. And so the priests were abusing their authority for the sake of their friends and the church was suffering for it all. And I want us to pay attention here to the lesson that all of us can learn today. I want us to see how the sin of abandoning our call to faithfully preach and teach and minister the word of God. Faithfully living out our lives according to the word of God can lead us down a slippery slope that ultimately leads us to a point where we begin to endorse certain members of the body over others. And so my hope and prayer for us today as we, as we read this words, we would say, God, may it not be so of our church and that we would begin to pray for our elders and pray for our pastors to be faithful to preach the word, to be faithful to live out the word and pray that they never show partiality in any situation that they come across. Man, I just wanna go ahead and be honest with you guys about something for a second. I, I, <laughs> we in this society throw around The sin of partiality so fast, it drives me nuts. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you what I mean by it. We flippantly throw it out there as if it's not a big deal, is what I'm talking about, okay? We throw it out there like, oh, you lied. That's how fast we throw that word out there. And that concerns me. And it concerns me because here's what I know about the sin of partiality, is it just doesn't start there. That's the result of sin that started with pride. Pride where we abandon the word of God. Pride where key leaders abandon the teaching of the word, the instruction of the word. Pride that, that led them to then say, hey, I'm going I'm to continue to preach and teach the word, but I'm not going to follow the word. A pride that says, man, I'm going to look and breathe and smell like a Christian one day a week, but the other six days of the week, nobody in this community is going to be able to tell I'm a believer. A pride that that says to us, "I'm going to come into church as a spouse, and man, I'm going to I'm going to give glory to Jesus." But then, when I go home, I'm not leading my family in anything. In fact, I'm probably just leading them to hell. All that has to happen, and then we get to this sin of partiality. In my mind, it's a it's a result of other things that have happened. And so we flippantly throw it around as if it's not a big deal. And the reality is this is a very big deal. And so as a church, man, we need to be praying not only for our leaders, but for our church as well, that we never fall into that trap, that we never fall into that sin of partiality where we say, man, I'm just going gonna, gonna to go this way. I'm going to go away from the word of God. I'm going to go this way. Why am I going this way? Well, because this person told me to. Can I tell you something? Some of the most well-meaning people that speak into our lives, not because they desire it, not because that's their goal, but some of the people that we allow to speak in our lives can and will say things that are wrong. And if we're not careful, they can and they will lead us away from the word of God. And I don't—I think half the time they don't even mean to. And then this is what happens. They get held accountable. They get held accountable. And they get defensive. and then all of a sudden it's it's through that squeeze and that pressure that we we may realize in that moment that maybe this isn't just some simple sin that was committed, but rather maybe this is a maybe this is a result of a bigger issue. And then what they end up doing is is they ostracize the community, they separate the community. And then they begin to show partiality. So you see, we need to we need to support our elders, our pastors, each other by praying for one another to remain faithful in reading the word, staying close to the word, praying for our leaders to continue to be faithful in proclaiming the truth. We need to be praying for our pastors to be protected from ever finding themselves in a situation with someone or someones who may want to lead them to show partiality towards certain situations or certain groups or, or, or dare I say, even the wealthy. We need to begin praying for ourselves praying for ourselves that, that in our relationships with one another, that we would have healthy relationships protecting one another from trying to place ourselves above others in order to gain some sort of leverage that we think we should have within the church. Church family, I want to tell you something. This, this passage, Malachi 2, 1-9, has been such a healthy checkup for our leaders and for our church. Because I'm going to go ahead and tell you, the the, the pitfalls that we read about, the failures that we read about in verse 8 and 9, I want to tell you that this is why here at Southside Baptist Church, we have what we call a plurality of elders. You want to know why? So that no one man can make all the decisions. I've heard people constantly comment all over the community throughout the state of Florida, even at the SBC, talking about how awful having elders are and how elders are totalitarian and they don't ever listen to the congregation. I don't know what elders they're talking about, but I know you're not talking about the elders here because that's not how it works here. Our congregation still has the final authority. However, for the sake of accountability... We have lay elders and we have paid elders. And let me tell you something, we meet once a month and there are times, and I don't think I'm divulging too much information here. If I am, I promise you an elder will hold me accountable at this point. But there there are times where we don't agree in our meetings. Shocker. We don't. Our elders are not yes men. They're smart men. They're biblical men. I think every one of our elders at some point has looked me dead in the eyes and said, we ain't doing that. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, for you, that's a good thing. That's a great thing. It's why we have a plurality, so that pastors, paid pastors, can be held accountable. Those brothers hold me accountable to the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. They hold one another accountable. They hold themselves accountable to the church. So you see, this is a good and biblical and right thing to have a plurality of elders so that the pastor can be protected himself from his own sins and so that the church can be protected from playing favorites and finding themselves falling short in the sin of partiality itself. You see, the role of the biblical pastor is a role that God takes seriously. It's why God can, in these first nine verses, look with love upon the priests and say, listen, I am holding you accountable. I will hold you accountable. This needs to get corrected. And sadly, what has happened today is we see too many men who, because they read the Bible a lot, because they pray well, because they attend church every Sunday, we tell them that they are now called to ministry. When the reality is they're just being a good Christian and we should encourage them to continue to do so. So as a church, let's seek to encourage men and women to continue to grow in their faith. Let's seek to continue to encourage our elders to continue to faithfully pray and to shepherd and to lead. Let's, let's continue to seek to understand the biblical role of the pastor so that we can continue to pray for our elders and pray for our pastors as they as they lead our church and as they lead us. Man, I'm, I'm looking forward to the day that we're going we're gonna to call some other elders as well. That day is coming and, and I'm looking forward to that. And so as, as a faith family together, myself included, let's continue to encourage these brothers by our presence and by allowing them to speak into our lives and to shepherd us. Let's, let's continue to faithfully follow them as they seek to grow in their own understanding of the word of God and what it is that the Lord is leading us to do, not for the sake of our own gain or for our own glory, but for the sake of understanding these brothers, understanding more about the word of God, and then encouraging them as they seek to faithfully shepherd. And I want to remind you of something, man. Our Our elders and and our pastors, they are all men. They're not perfect. They're flawed. I'm I'm flawed. I'm not going to look at my wife when I say that. I'm flawed. I was kind of going to say that, and I was hoping she was going to be working next door, but here she is. All of our pastors and elders have an example to follow. And I want to tell you guys something, because this is no secret. We have that same example to follow as well. His name is Jesus Christ, who, according to the word, always walked in fear, reverence, and awe of God the Father. It was Jesus Christ who spoke with words that were always true instruction, bringing life and peace according to his word and leading many to repentance. And yet it was Jesus who would serve as our redeemer and died the death that we deserved. And now it is Jesus who stands as the great high priest, whose name is love, who has now cleansed and pardoned us and teaches us by the works and the wonder of the Holy Spirit. And so it's Jesus who now fashions us all to be the royal priest that he has called us to be. You see, here's the truth. The more we understand the gospel, the more we understand the word of God and and our need for it, the better we will be as a church. So church family, let me encourage you from this word this morning. Remain faithful. Continue to pray. Continue to encourage one another. Continue in heartfelt fellowship. Continue in passionate, heartfelt worship. Continue to to faithfully seek and to pray for and to encourage your elders and your pastors to be men who become biblical elders and biblical pastors. And let's be a people who guard the truth that is the word of God that we've been given hiding it in our hearts, teaching it to all who will hear, worshiping our Lord by the word, and then sitting under the teaching of the word of God with great joy. You see, when the church responds in this way, we will encourage our leaders. And at the same time, as followers, as servants, as a faith family, we will better understand the role of the biblical pastor. So let's encourage one another. Encourage one another faithfully. Worship with passion. Faithfully pray and encourage your pastors and your elders to remain faithful to the word as we too seek to be faithful to the word. Let's pray together.